welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. I'm here today with Neil Philbrook. Now, Neil is the CEO of UK and Ireland for an organisation called Bank Brokers, but also runs the America region as well, Neil, don't you? So welcome. Nice to see you. Morning, Jeanette. Beautiful morning. <laughs> I love your optimism. This is what it's all about. It's actually cold and grey here, but the sun is shining where you are, obviously. Well, we won at the uh, the football last night. So England beat Senegal, so all's good, right? Exactly, exactly. We'll see what's happened by the time this comes out, actually. So let's not get too too overconfident, but fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly right. So, Neil, you and I have got to know each other a little bit over the last few months, but a lot of people listen to this. They, won't, they probably might not have heard of bank brokers and they may not actually know uh, too much about your background and kind of how you got into banking. So can we start there, if that's all right? So a bit about your kind of career journey and anything you want to tell us really in terms of your life <laughs> and then we'll talk about bank brokers and what you guys do there fantastic yeah no it'd be, be a pleasure and uh going right back to the the beginning um I, I will start with uh my first job was with a company called sun alliance now royal sun alliance okay uh, and this is down in uh, bristol from my part of the world and uh, i went along for this uh, this interview jeanette and i was thinking about moments in my career where i've been uh, brave or bold this is probably one of the bold ones <laughs> uh, and the uh, the lady who's interviewing me lovely lady she said um what do you want to do then you know there's plenty of opportunities here at sun alliance fast growing company large operation and i said i want to be an underwriter okay i want to be an underwriter she said oh well, I, I don't know much about that's a very specialist technical area i'll go and get the head of the underwriting department so this lovely fella turns up mike goodman uh, great guy and he uh, he sat down he said I understand you want to be an underwriter um you know what do you know about it and I said absolutely nothing <laughs> I said my mum used to be an underwriter it sounded quite interesting looking at people's medical histories and financial histories and uh, he said he, we laughed anyway he said uh, I think you're the man for us and uh, you know that that's how my career started I ended up as a an underwriter for Sun Alliance and uh, that was the start of my career and after that then, so from Sun Alliance, where, where did you go from there, Neil? Okay, so uh, I, I did all the um, underwriting qualifications because I should say, Jeanette, that I left school uh, just with GCSEs, okay, before doing A-levels, before doing a degree. But once I got into underwriting, it was a really interesting field. So I started to do all my exams, I did all the, the A-levels, and then I did a, a degree, um, a degree equivalent um, through the insurance exams. I became a, a qualified underwriter, uh, and then later on went on to become an associate and then a, a fellow with the Chartered Insurance Institute. Um, but I wanted to get into work. When I was 16, I just wanted to work. So um, started off, as I said, with Sun Alliance. And then an opportunity came up just down the road with a, a startup venture between Commercial Union and Midland Bank. They were launching a brand new insurance company and they were looking for somebody who knew how to underwrite to, uh, to pop across and, and be interviewed and start with this new venture. So I did exactly that, and I ended up working for uh, Middle Life, as it became called, as it became known, uh, back in uh, 1989. And that was the start of my journey with Midland and then HSBC for 24 years. Um, <laughs> I didn't think that at the beginning, but uh, and having qualified as an insurer to then be taken over a couple of years later by Midland Bank Holy, uh, I then became a, a banker. Um, so when I was uh, telling people proudly that I had all these insurance qualifications, it just kind of went over these bankers' heads. <laughs> it became irrelevant, right? But uh, um, the day that Midland Bank bought the life company, the Middle Life Company, they sent in some senior execs and they said, right, anybody got any questions? You've just been acquired today. Any questions? So, you know, you had Pat in the print room throwing his hand up saying, I deliver the prints to people's desks, Right. Now that we've been taken over, will I still be delivering the prints to people's desk? And of course, they said, well, yeah, but it would just be headed at Midland rather than Commercial Union. So Pat was like really relieved. And there was kind of questions like that. And I, I put my hand up and I said, look, 
Uh, what are the career development opportunities for somebody like myself that's just got an open mind and just, you know, I'm up for anything. What's available? And at the end, uh, the lady that was running the, the presentation, a lady called Liz Gibney, she said, uh, uh, points me to one side. And I thought, oh, no, my mouth's got me in trouble again, Jeanette. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, actually, that was a really good question. There's loads of opportunities. And actually, we need an underwriter to go down to Southampton and set up an underwriting unit there. Are you up for that? I'm like, well, okay. So, Jeanette, that lunchtime, I went and brought my favourite sandwich, went down at the docks uh, down in Bristol, uh, phoned my wife, uh, then girlfriend, and said, look, come over. i got some news. I've been offered a job down in Southampton. You know, do you fancy it? And uh, we were quite new in the relationship then, Jeanette, so it could have gone either way. And she said, what the hell? Let's do it. Where is it? <laughs> Where is Southampton? <laughs> so we had to get the map out and... Uh, yeah, and that was it. And then we uh, moved down to Southampton. That was in 1990, 91, and uh, never looked back. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So long long career with, with HSBC then, 24 years all in. Um, and then from from there, it was bank brokers, wasn't it, Neil? Was, it, was, was, was there anything in between, or did you sort of jump into bank brokers after that? Yeah, there was a couple of um, steps on the sort of uh, HSBC ladder. So starting off with the underwriting, I think it's probably worth just filling in a couple of the, the, the gaps. So um, the bank wanted me to uh, later come back to, to, to Bristol to run the, the, the life insurance operations. So to actually use some of my insurance experience, so I came back uh, many years later and ran the life insurance operations. Uh, they then had a, a fail, failing unit in Wales. You may know it, off Clepper Park, Junction 28 um, of, the, of the M4. It was this little unit that was uh, that was really sort of failing and it was dying on the vine. And they said, look, can you go and have a look at that and see see if there's any opportunities to do something there? So I, I popped over to Wales. And Jeanette, it was this little jewel in the crown that just needed a little bit of polish to shine. So uh, I ended up um, spending a couple of years in Wales um, and uh, growing the business by over a thousand percent in the end. Uh, and then one evening, sat there in the call centre, late at night, I had a call from the then uh, chief executive, a gentleman called Michael Gagan, uh, and he just tried us out because he'd heard the thousand percent milestone that we'd smashed, and he wanted to understand what was going on. Mm. He phoned me up late at night, and he happened to be there, which was a, a good result, Jeanette. <laughs> and he said, we just had this experience. My wife and I, we've just, uh, you know, insured our fleet of cars and, and home, and we just wanted to find out what the experience was. It was brilliant. So tell me, tell me how you did it and what you did. So he and I spoke for a little while that evening, and he said, um, Actually, I've got my executive committee uh, on Friday. Do you mind sort of popping up to London to tell the rest of the my, my colleagues how you did this? Um, and then a few days after that, I was asked if I'd run um, all the sales across all the, the call centres for uh, HSBC um, to see if I could do the thousand percent thing again. Uh, so that that was an interesting stint. And then that led to um, the, the gentleman, a guy called Tony Marnie, a Welsh gentleman you may know down in that part of the, the world at the moment. Um, Tony uh, invited me to run sales across the network as well. So I was then running sales across all the call centers and the, the branch network. Um, and that was a very interesting period. And then I was, and then I was uh, uh, tapped on the shoulder and invited. And this is a, where I think uh, there is a story of bravery, not mine, but my daughter's. Uh, we were invited to, I was invited to go and run um, HSBC's uh, premier and wealth business over in Paris. Um, and I had to convince the, the heads of the business then that I could speak fluent French. Now, Jeanette, I hadn't spoken French since, <laughs> you know, cool. since 1986, but I scraped through by GCSE, so I had to do a little bit of boning up before the, the interview, but uh, suffice to say, it went, went very well. I was offered the job. I ran uh, HSBC's Premier and Wealth business um, and then was asked if I would do the same across Europe, so I took on a pan-European role, uh, and that there are some adventures and stories there that um, were incredible. I'll, perhaps if we get a bit more time, I'll share some of those. You know, seeing the the Grand Canyon in Kazakhstan, which I was told was larger than the Grand Canyon in America. I mean, who knew? Taxi, take me there. I want to see this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Noah's Ark, uh, apparently, according to one uh, Armenian friends, it landed on a hill just outside of Yerevan. Uh, the capital of Armenia. So going to see that was interesting. I mean, I got some great stories. But yeah, going back to the bravery moment, telling my 11-year-old daughter that we've had a job opportunity in Paris, and is she interested in uh, in doing that? She was very brave, a little 11-year-old girl. She said, Dad, 
I'd love to do that. I, you know, my friends will be here when I come back. All yeah. the tears in my eye and, you know, inspired me. So that's my daughter, Daisy. Um, yeah, there we go. And my last role, Jeanette, and then I will shut up about the past, but uh, my last role was um, looking after Premier Banking globally for HSBC based out of Hong Kong. And I know you had a stint yourself in Asia. So uh, very, very interesting experience. I used to think that London was the capital, the French capital of the world. But when you sat in Hong Kong and you actually see um, the different markets waking up after you've done a full day's work in Hong Kong and sort of sleepily catching up, and then you're still there, you know, when everybody, all the other countries are going to bed. Um, uh, for me, that was so vibrant. Hong Kong, for me, was the, you know, that was the real financial capital of the world. Um, but anyway, and then I was approached by the chairman of Bank Brokers Group. So that's the kind of uh, the segue there. And he said, do you want to come back to Britain, bring your family back here? And, you know, rather than being a, a relatively small cog and, you know, this massive machine, do you actually want to be, uh, you know, one of the owners of this group? Do you want to launch the company in Britain? We're only in the Nordics at the moment. You know, we've heard some good things. Do you fancy a change? Uh, and you'll have, you know, a nice stake in the company and, you know, we'll leave you alone. Just grow the business and you're fully empowered. How about that? So uh, that was, um, for anyone that knows me, I was like a rat up a drain pipe. That was uh, music to my ears. And I <laughs> never looked back. That was 2013, by the way. That's it. So gosh, we're nine years in then. Yeah, that's time flies, doesn't it? But um, listen, just a couple of things I want to pick up on, Neil, really, um, for people listening. Because obviously you've had a really successful career in in banking, you know, and, and a, a financial services and what you're doing now as well. But I think the thing that struck me was that, even in those early days, you said yes to an opportunity without necessarily kind of knowing which way it was going to go. And and I think so often people, sometimes they they put all these doubts and fears in, in front of an opportunity that stops them from taking it, whereas actually you kind of grabbed it. And then from there, it sort of naturally evolved into a big international role, et cetera. And, you know, I think that that point of of just sort of saying, oh, yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that, but why not? I'll give it a go. Has that always been in you, Neil? You know, were your parents like that? You know, is that always that something that that kind of you've managed to, to sort of develop yourself as you as you kind of progress your career? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to think about my, my old man worked on the railways in, in Bristol Temple Meads. And uh, apart from letting me start a train once when I was young, the one thing he said to me about the railways, he said, just don't ever do this, son. There are much, much easier careers. T talk to your mum, right? Talk to your mum. And my mum, she'd been a barmaid. She trained to be an accountant. She'd been an underwriter at Phoenix in the same building, Phoenix House, that I later worked in. Hence why I got the idea of underwriting. And it was my mum that said, look, just be open to all opportunities you know, you don't have to follow your father into the railways if you don't want to. Just, you know, let, let's do something a bit more, uh, a bit more ambitious. How about financial services? Something I did, something I love. So it's probably looking back, it was both of them. Is my my father pushing me away from the sort of um, the hard labour, I guess, of, of the railways, and my mum saying, you know, just grasp the opportunity of financial services, which is blossoming in Britain. So um, probably a mix of both of them, but maybe perhaps a little bit more my mum. And they're long departed now, so God rest their souls. But um, they, they really did help my career. And since then, I just, I'll say yes to anything, Jeanette. And, and is that, you know, is that the bold or is that stupid? I don't know. It's, it's worked well for me, but being open to anything, keeping an open mind and, uh, you know, you don't know what door's going to open up. Somebody says to you, you know, go over to Wales and run a centre, go over to, to France and, you know, look after wealth management, fly over to Hong Kong and run Premier. The, these opportunities, when they come up, you've just got to grab the carpe diem. It's the, uh, you know, that, that's my sort of, um, yeah, that's my philosophy. And it's, it's served me quite well. And that's how I found myself in bank brokers. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I love it. And you know what? Also, I think I think you're right. You know, so often, um, you know, people are, are sort of worried about it not necessarily fitting a, a plan. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm really into having a plan, right? I love having a plan and knowing where I'm heading and all of that. However, um, the plan never really works out as you... <laughs> As you anticipate, as we know, whether it's a business plan or a plan for your life. But also when those things come up, rather than tell yourself all the things that reasons why you shouldn't, you know, I think just just think about what if, what if yeah. it works out? And you know what? If it doesn't, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, I might fall flat on my face, make an idiot of myself, but I'll have learned something. So yeah. I, I always say, I always think about, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And if I can deal with the worst, well, then I may as well try. 
Because you well, don't French, know where it may lead, right? Completely, completely agree. And the French one's a great example. I mean, a lot of people to be told, you know, it's a French-speaking role, you know, and to think, well, I've only got sort of, you know, O-level at the time uh, French. To do that, I mean, it, again, it was slightly bold, but then I learned French. I can now speak fluent French. So, and then my daughter, who was there, you know, Daisy, who took the opportunity and encouraged my wife and I to really go for it, her French now is impeccable. So she's bilingual. She's living and working in, in France, running a, a resort, a hotel resort uh, up at the Alps. So, you know, um, and that would never have happened if we hadn't been open-minded, both of us, and gone for it. So I think that will carry through into her life. And, uh, and my son's now joined us in, in, in Bank Brokers. He had a choice, you know, right? He had the opportunity to go into the university sort of life and do a degree. Uh, or on the back of his three very successful A-levels, um, particularly in maths, he got an A in maths, to come and join the, the family firm. And he, so he took a, a bold decision himself to say, Dad, I want to join the firm. So, uh, yeah, we all get these opportunities. You just got to grab them. And uh, I haven't looked back. I've, I've had the best like, nine, nine and a half years. Our 10-year anniversary on the 8th of April next year, Jeanette, yeah. as bank brokers. And going from strength to strength. Fantastic. That's great. So just tell us a little bit around what Bank Brokers Bank Brokers does, because the name is one thing, but actually there's quite a lot. Um, keep it simple for, for those that are non-technical, Neil, if you don't mind. Uh, but yeah, Bank Brokers, it's an interesting organisation. And uh, obviously it's one that I'm sort of getting to know a lot better uh, more recently as well. But yeah, Bank Brokers, give us the heads up. Yeah, so the, uh, the chairman, when he reached out to me when I was here in Hong Kong, he said, Let, let's meet in uh, the Blakemore Hotel, Hyde Park, right? So this this guy, this, uh, you know, Pear Bjorgas, you can look him up online, he's a serial chairman at the time, or, or he'd recently left uh, Dixon's Group, he's one of the main board members there. Anyway, Pear said, come on, let's meet, let's meet in uh, Blakemore Hotel, Hyde Park, and uh, I'll tell you the, the, you know, I'll tell you about bank brokers. And this is a very sort of basic pitch from this, this Viking chairman. He said... Uh, you know, use your skills for good. And I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you've got all this banking knowledge now that you've accumulated over all these years in all these different markets. You know, why not help companies to reduce their banking costs rather than trying to maximize the profit for the bank? So be on the sort of right side of that equation. And I kind of, I like the sound of this. And I said, so how do you do that? And he said, well, through benchmarking. We have all the pricing data for all the banks, all the merchant services acquiring banks, all the FX providers, all the lenders. We, we've got all of the data for all of these people so we can operate on the side of the client and show them the opportunities to review and improve their banking, merchant services, uh, or, or debt arrangements. Um, so, you know, using empirical data to help people. Is that interesting? And I, I, I just loved it. It was that and having access to the whole train set, being able to run the company and be the CEO and, you know, do things as I wanted to. So that was the that was the thing. And then the name Bank Brokers, it's, uh, you know, some people say to us, well, Bank Brokers, by definition, a broker, that means you're going to be changing us and moving us around on the market. That's, that's not what we do at all, right? So it's a kind of a bit of a misnomer. What we actually do is we benchmark and then we talk to the current providers to say, look, you know, this client's paying 20% more than they should be for the various services that you're providing. If we can agree to, to reduce that to, you know, down to being uh, in line with their peer group, yeah, uh, you can still make a nice margin because we know the profit margins the banks need to make. You can still make a nice profit margin, but really just treat this client fairly, give them the best terms, the best terms on the market. Clearly, we can, we can move them to another provider. We know all the providers, right? But isn't it better to just broaden and deepen the relationship and extend it and stay where you are? Uh, and, uh, you know, all the clients love that. And the, the banks kind of, they like keeping the business. They want to keep the business ultimately. So um, it's it's a win-win. Um, but it's not, perhaps, as it says on the account, we're not broking all the time. But, the, the you know, the banks know that we could. So yeah. maybe that's the power in the brand. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it, actually, as, as a whole concept. I mean, listen, having been a CEO running big businesses myself, you know, and especially in the travel industry, a travel, leisure, hospitality, where the margins are very thin, you know, I mean, you're lucky if you're making a 5 to 10% EBITDA as a percent of revenue, right? So actually, anything that you can do in terms of your overhead and your cost base um, has got to be, you know, a, a real opportunity to take, especially when someone else is doing all the hard work for you and you've got not got any cash out up front in order to deliver the saving so i think it's a really great strong concept um 100 especially uh, you know just on just on picking up on the travel point that you made there especially during covid so 
you know, travel sector was very, very interesting to the acquiring banks. They really, really wanted to do travel prior to COVID. As soon as COVID hit, all of the banks shut their doors on the entire travel and hospitality sector. Mm. Okay, so really attractive clients suddenly were ostracized and they were asked to leave. So um, many of the banks either requested massive cash collateral, so huge security, or they whacked up the, the pricing, or in most cases, they asked them to actually find a new bank. So we had some of the, the largest, most powerful, most interesting names in travel and hospitality reaching out to us to say, oh my God, Neil, we, we've just been exited, or we've been given 30 days notice, 60 days, if they were lucky, 90 days notice. Can you help us? So it went from being around the, the standard cost reduction, which every company should do. And I, you know, if you haven't done it, then benchmarking and reducing, every company should do that. But during COVID, we were actually <clears throat> helping many of these big brands in travel and hospitality, and some of the smaller companies too, to survive. <clears throat> so in normal times, I think it's about helping companies to thrive, cut their cost base, you know, and I think that's that's the you know that's a great service, and we, we love delivering that. We've done it for three thousand companies now uh, around the world, Jeanette. So it's uh, you know we, we're doing something right. But in COVID times, it was about helping companies to survive, mm. and then beyond the sort of helping them with their merchant services and their general banking, a lot of companies post COVID in every sector needed help with with debt. They needed to actually you know they needed some working capital, so they might have needed to raise some money, and they needed somebody to help them to present to the banks in a way that the banks could easily say yes, rather than repeatedly saying no. Mm. So, you know, even with all the great work that Rishi did in his previous role as chancellor, with all the, you know, the CL bills, the CE bills, all the different, uh, the banks backs, everything he did, the banks were still really reluctant. Even though it was 80% government backed, they were shoring up their balance sheets rather than releasing the money so what we found is a lot of companies were saying, you know, can you just help us that, you know, the answer seems to be repeatedly no. So then we really started to grow on the debt advisory uh, side of the business. And um, we've done some very, very interesting debt advisory deals. Did one uh, a few weeks back, uh, one of the largest in, in Nordic history, uh, just under a billion euros um, of uh, syndicated loans for a very large Nordic company. Um, but we, we've helped so many companies, small, medium and large and Jeanette, people say to me, what is the perfect client for bank brokers? Who do you we want to help everybody, okay? We want to help everybody. So we're working with several of the FTSE 100 now in Britain, as an example. So big companies really benefit from our help. But the smaller companies, so the independent, you know, coffee chain or hotel chain or, um, you know, retailer, but, but not necessarily just the big ones, reach out for help. We can reduce your charges. We can help you with your merchant services. And we can help you with uh, with any debt that you need. It's a simple proposition. We're on your side, helping you. Um, and I think clients really like that. Yeah, no, I love it. And, you know, it, it leads on nicely, actually, Neil, because I was going to sort of ask you, you know, if you're giving some advice, not necessarily just about bank charges and, and things like that and merchant fees, et cetera. But, you know, for a business in today's world, it's been a really tough couple of years, as we know, for all sectors. Um, but in particular, you know, I would say, uh, travel, leisure, hospitality, retail have been sort of more impacted. But we you know we we are in a recession, and we've got a still a you know a lot of headwinds coming coming our way, haven't we? So for a business, regardless of size, um, what advice would you give if you for a CEO or a CFO that's sort of you know running those businesses today, in order to make sure they survive, but also thrive if they can through through these difficult times? What would your advice be? Well, I think there's going to be a, a tendency to, to want to hunker down, right? So it's a really, really tough economic headwind. So hunkering down feels like absolutely the right thing to do. And I think, you know, that is good and, and pruning the costs and doing all the sensible things, sort of, you know, um, what I'd call a sort of, you know, the, the basics. That's important. But I think at these really difficult times, there are also some great opportunities. So don't hunker down so much that you've lost that helicopter view that you perhaps would have had pre-COVID where you're looking for opportunities to perhaps maybe acquire some smaller businesses or businesses that are struggling, people that previously were real competitors of yours, you know, maybe there's some opportunities there. I'd also recommend, as we did during uh, during COVID, looking at opportunities for expansion. So again, whilst you're hunkering, you might not, may not naturally think about the regions that you're not operating in. For us, we, we chose the, um, the Americas and, and started off with the US. So we launched a new office over in America to expand our proposition because we felt there's loads of companies over there that could uh, could benefit from it. And it has turned out to be the case and it's gone through the roof. But look at those opportunities. So don't just hunker down too much. Yes, look to, to you know 
prune costs, be sensible, but look at acquisition opportunities, growth opportunities, growth markets. You know, there could be some great opportunities to innovate mm. whilst being very careful and safe and stable during a, a difficult times. Yeah, right. I think that's great advice, actually. I mean, there are two sides of the coin, aren't there? I mean, an old uh, an old boss of mine, Dermot Blasland, who was the um, the CEO of First Choice back in the day when I was product director, he used to say to me, he used to say, you call you in and go, Jeanette, we need to mow the lawn again. And I'd be going, okay, Dermot, how much this time? And it'd be like, that was his terminology, if you know, got to cut costs. Yeah. So it'd be like 15%, 20%, whatever. But the point was that actually, yes, control your cost base because that you can control that to a certain degree, not all but you you know make choices there but actually could you use that fund that you release to invest in other things or to innovate and and you're absolutely right i think that you know during times of hardship there can always be opportunities you know to to reinvent your business model m&a etc and and actually you know arguably what the things that always get cut very often is um Training and development. Uh, so people, you know, the investment in people tends to be cut and marketing. And arguably, those are the two areas that you actually should be investing in during a tough time. But can you make sure that your cost base is not, there's no there's no fat in it um, so that anything you can release, you can actually redeploy elsewhere to, to grow the business still. And I think that's very smart advice. Actually. I, think, I think it's great advice. And I'm just thinking to ourselves, um, there's a few parallels here. Because during COVID, again, we re- re- relaunched our brand. So we actually spent time and money invested in the, in the brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned about the kind of the bank brokers, you know, the, you know, is it really broken or are you predominantly keeping clients, you know, where they are and looking after them? Um, we used the opportunity to sort of rebrand the bank brokers and we sort of emphasizing more the BB bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> beyond benchmarking so we're, we're specialists in benchmarking so it's all about data but bb as well as bank brokers it can stand for beyond benchmarking so it's you know repositioning all your merchant services operating in new markets at a lower cost you know securing uh, debt to help your, your organization so we did, we took that opportunity you're describing about you know during difficult times actually investing more in marketing so we did a big brand relaunch so mm-hmm. really good to hear it very good <laughs> Um, so, so Neil, you know when you um, when you joined Bank Brokers, one of the hooks for you was that you wanted you, you liked the idea of having full P and L accountability. Yes. And also, as I guess, there's two things going on. There's a shift from big corporate world, um, where you are, a, you know, yes, you're a small, you know, a small cog in a in a in a in a big wheel, versus um, actually being, you know, as I say, having more accountability, full P and L ownership in a smaller organization. Yes. So those two aspects. How did you have to adapt as a leader, as a business leader, to having to run in the ship? And actually making sure that, you know, all aspects of the business are taken care of, as opposed to sort of being, I suppose, a a divisional, functional kind of responsibility where you were before. Because that's an adjustment, isn't it? Oh, no, it really is. Uh, Another great question, right? So I always felt when I was in HSBC that I was a kind of entrepreneur trapped in a bureaucracy. I, I always felt that, okay? And everyone that knows me from HSBC days will probably see me, you know, a maverick with a small M, you know, probably a little bit. Um, it's like left of center all the time, not necessarily always tr- towing the central corporate line, right? So I probably had some of those entrepreneurial um, uh, aspects to my career. And I think that general insurance uh, operation that I ran and, you know, grew exponentially, that that was a good example of that. It gave me the confidence that I can do this on my own. But you're right, it's a massive cultural change from the big corporate world into literally waking up in the morning. And if you want a cup of tea, you're making yourself a cup of tea, Right. If you want to kind of send some letters out to clients to tell them about this new thing, bank brokers, you're actually constructing the letter, you're typing the letter, you're printing it. Pat from print room in sunlight isn't going to bring it to me. I have to, you know, put it into an envelope, lick the envelope, go and get some stamps, put a stamp on, send it out, hope for a response, chase them up. I mean, it's it's a really, really humbling thing to set up a company from scratch. And the UK entity was from scratch, even though we had this business model over the Nordics. To Britain, it was new, right? So it, it was it was frightening. So, you know, I guess you just got to have a bit of courage. You've got to be willing to take the plunge. Um, you've got to have attention to detail in all aspects of the PL. As you said, you can't just, you know, it can't be the bit that I find the most interesting, the natural talking to people and selling this thing that we do and marketing it. That's me. I love that. 
but you've got to make sure that you're hitting your numbers. You've got to make sure that you're, you're not spending too much to bring in that, 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 those clients. Yeah. You've got to be, um, you've got to be careful about how you, you manage the, the operation, how you recruit people, you know, bringing people on. Do you bring them on too early? There's a cost that's going to really, really hurt you. But if you don't bring people on, then how are you going to grow this business? And the U S is a great example of that. You know, how, how do you launch in America um, and do so in a kind of, uh, you know, safe and prudent way. Well, you got to invest some money. you got to invest. But if you invest and you do the right thing in the right way, then you're going to make an absolute, you know, a ton of money in America. And that's, uh, so that's, uh, that, that's exciting. But being able to make those decisions yourself, that's what I loved. And I would say people listening to the podcast, thinking about it, thinking about, you know, I've always found, you know, entrepreneur transfer bureaucracy. And they really want to start their own companies. My, my best advice is, is go for it, of course, because take the plunge. And as you said, what, what can go wrong? But do it in a kind of sensible way. I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't a frivolous decision, bank brokers. I had a lot of offers. I had to kind of think which is the one that resonated the most. And that chairman conversation, that that Viking way of doing business, um, I love that, right, Jeanette? I just, I mean, the, the guy, we were about two minutes into this chat. And, uh, and Pear just got a napkin from the, the waiter and he just wrote a few numbers down. He turned it around and he said, uh, this is the offer. And this is a de- decision made in two minutes. He sussed me out and he knew I was the right guy. So I just turned it back. Can I borrow your pen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not, you know, the HR department of HSBC where there's probably a thousand, two thousand, three thousand people working there. This is the chairman making decisions. And, you know, you made the team. Uh, I love that. I love that. I would say take the plunge. You know, you'll, you'll never look back. And, and maybe during the, the downturn, this is when the opportunities really arise for people, when there's, um, you know, when there are some redundancies, right? Mm. So that thing you were thinking of doing, but you were always a little bit worried about doing it, suddenly you've been paid off or there's an opportunity to grab a, a package. Mm. Why not take that and use it as your springboard to do whatever it is you want to do, right? And if you find your passion, yeah, so for me talking to clients and helping them and knowing that I'm doing good, that that that's my passion. I love that. But it might be, it could be anything, right? Whatever your passion is, find that, take the plunge, go for it. You'll never ever regret it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And you know, because the thing is, there are, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a career. There's nothing wrong with being in a job at whatever level, whether you're the cleaner or the CEO. It absolutely doesn't matter if you're, you know, there's, and it's not for everyone, is it, to be your own boss and be an entrepreneur? But if you have that burning feeling in your gut that it's something that you would like to do, life is too goddamn short, quite frankly. And and I really believe that you know, give it a go. If it doesn't work, you'll learn. If it does work well, how how different could life be for you? And and like you say, if you're doing something that you really love, then actually it's not, you know, the saying, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I'm not 100% sure that, that always plays out. <laughs> However, the principle is is broadly there, isn't it? Um, or thereabouts, I think. It's about being happy. It's about being happy, right? I mean, yeah. I, I used to, I, I did the commute from Southampton into Canary Wharf for four years solid okay so i was doing that and it was two and a half hours if everything went perfectly everything two and a half hours each way so there's a five hour daily commute Jeanette. right five hours i look back now and i was like an automaton just standing on the platform in the same place you know sat on the same seat looking across the, the same person rushing to the same bit of the platform honestly i look back now and there was there was no life there right there was no life here. i said to my kids i said that i missed four years of you growing up i'd leave before you're awake and I come back when you've gone to bed. Yeah. So there's more to life than that sort of grind, right? And, and that was the thing for me. Now I spring out of bed, you know, I, I've got an office here in the, in the garden. <laughs> you know, I leave the house, pop into the office, you know, sometimes with my pyjama bottoms on and my slippers, you know, always with a nice professional. But uh, that's the quality, that's the new quality of life. And I'm doing something I'm passionate about, something I love. And I feel, I just feel great doing this. And I think, if everybody could have that in there, well, it doesn't matter, as you said, what the career is. But if you have that joy and that, that happiness, and if you haven't got that, it is worth pausing. It is worth saying to yourself, oh, what could I do? And everybody, everybody has a special gift. Everyone's got a talent. We all do. Mm. Yeah, and we know deep down, if you, if you wrote it down, what are the things that I am passionate about? And then is there an opportunity to do that? Could I, could I, could I make money from that? Or, Maybe you don't need that. Who knows? Everyone's different. But um, following your passion, following your dream, going for it, having a joie de vie, you're going to be a happier person. 
Yeah. And, and you know what, you, the way you talk about the business and kind of what you do and how you help clients, you know, it, it really does shine through. But I have got a question for you, Neil. Mm. Are you sitting there in your pajamas? Uh, <laughs> Tracksuit bottoms. It's cold this morning in Southampton, you know. Uh, so, yeah. But I've got my slippers and usually I've got my dog here. I've got a, a lovely black Labrador, Chow. And uh, he, he goes on all my most important meetings with me. And just occasionally, you know, you might be presenting to the board of some big NASDAQ company and, and then Chow will stand up. He's heard the postman. He'll start barking. And, but I, I, you know, I love this. This is one of the good things about COVID, right? People are all very ties and, you know, cufflinks and, you know, come into the office. And now your dog barking, the postman arriving, the child walking, you know, onto the stage. You know. yeah. These, it's just real life. I, I, I prefer it now, Jeanette. Don't you think it's more authentic? It's more real. Yeah. the way the world's become yeah yeah i think so i think so and at the end of the day people do business with people that they know like and trust right yeah. um it's as simple yeah. as that i i think really it boils down to it boils down to that of course you've got to have the right proposition or rest of it but if you've got two identical propositions you're gonna you're gonna go with the with the person where you've got a good connection haven't you and yes. i want to talk a bit about that actually because um I think, you know, very often being an authentic leader, shall we say, is a, a bit of a buzzword. Um, and it, it sometimes people try to be authentic, which is kind of not the point, is it? If you're going to try to be authentic, then you're probably not. Yeah. Um, but what about you? How do you how do you sort of bring your personality and your style to what you do? Um, in the right way at the same time as retaining that kind of professional, you know, because some of the bit, some of the brands you're working with, you know, M&S, Dunelm, some massive brands that you, you know, big corporates. Um, but how do you approach your style, being authentic when you're dealing with sometimes quite stiff organisations? Yeah, not that those organisations are stiff. No, of course, none of those that I mentioned. Could be others. No, 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 I know, I know the point you make, just generalise. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, I just have to be true to myself. So if anyone looks at my posts, just just look at my feed on LinkedIn, right? I always talk about, you know, things that are actually happening in my life. Sometimes they're going to be controversial things. They've always got a business edge and business focus, but there's, there's no, um, if I take a photo and I, you know, to, to make a point about something and I, I look a bit, you know, droopy eyed or whatever, you know, <laughs> a bit fly where I haven't shaped, I don't care. I'm trying to make a point to say, look, here's something that's happening. And I use the, the personal side of it to bring it to life because mm. you see people buy from people, right? So just being authentic in who you are. Um, I think people really like that, but being authentic in your views. So if there's something that may be controversial and you know there could be half of the population that is not going to like what you're about to say, mm. it doesn't matter. If you believe it, then, then, then say it and be true to it. So you can, you know, anybody that wants to go through my feed will just see it brimming with authentic, you know, you can't make stuff up. This is, this is just who I am and the way that I am. Um, and I, I think clients like that. My mum my always used to say, look, you, you are Marmite. You know, people really, really like you, Neil, or they really, really hate you. I mean, and that's okay. Um, and I've come across both. What I would say, Jeanette, I said to you uh, earlier, before we joined this, I said to you, you know, our conversion rate at the, at the moment in the UK is 90%, right? 90%. 90%. So every client, practically, that we meet, they, they buy from us, yeah? They, they want to do business with us. They like us. What, whatever the, which of the three main services I mentioned, they just want to do business with us. But there's clearly 10% that, that don't. And you think about the proposition, you know, stay where you are, we'll do all the work, and we'll just save you money, right? Who, who, who are the 10% that say no to that? And I like to think of, uh, and I won't mention which brands, but I can think of a, a, a group treasurer for... Um, a, a massive company in 76 markets, one of the biggest brands on the high street. And uh, the guy said to me after four years of me pestering him, you know, in a nice way, just, you know, hey, how you doing? I've just come back from Sardinia, that place that you recommended, you know, you know, maybe we can do business together, you know. And he's like, no, no, no. And after four years of that, we did this, uh, we did a deal. We saved them se seven-figure sum, um, brought them a better uh, merchant acquirer, um, sorted out their conversion rates, reduced the fraud, you know, just created a much better infrastructure for the company. And then he said to me, he said, um, a, a foreign gentleman, he said to me in, in his accent, I won't try and do his accent, but uh, he said, Neil, why didn't you push me harder, sooner? And I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> four years of like, <laughs> this guy to do business. Well, it, it reminded me that maybe the, the 10% aren't the, it's not the marmite, it's not that they, they hate me, they hate the team, they hate what we do. 
maybe it's just that my tenacity and perseverance needed to be stronger. Um, and I think over time, therefore, I think it should be a hundred percent conversion rate, right? Mm. Well, who doesn't, who doesn't want to save money? Exactly, exactly. No, that's great. I love that. Fantastic. And and Neil, you know, when you uh, look back through your career, because obviously you had lots of success along the way, can you think of any low points? Because, you know, I think it's important that we we share the highs and the lows because life isn't easy. Business isn't easy. There will be things that don't go right. And I'm sure you've had you've had examples of that. But maybe just share a couple of a couple of examples where it's not been so easy and it hasn't all gone so well. Yeah. OK, so there's one I'm thinking of immediately. Um... So a bit of personal disclosure. So the, the bank brought in a, a, an external guy, a city guy. So he's not a HM, HSBC guy through and through. He's an external guy. So city guy came in. And in city, the, the way they sort of operate, it's a little bit more sort of hire and fire. And you're all just pieces on a, um, a chessboard. Whereas HSBC, certainly back then, was very caring about its its employees. So I was never going to leave HSBC, even though I was like trapped there in this bureaucracy. I, I still loved it deep down, you know, cut me in half and it would say HSBC right the way through. Uh, this guy came in and... Uh, we were just moving over to Hong Kong. I'd already been commuting from Paris to Hong Kong for six months. The family, we were all going over to Hong Kong. And then he phoned me up one day and he said, uh, I'd just been looking at the numbers. It's going to save us a lot of money if you just go back to, to London and make London your old base rather than, you know, carry on your international um, your international journey. So I'm, I'm going to move you and your family back to, to London. I just thought I'd give you a quick call to let you know. Uh, and at this point, you know, we'd found accommodation. My kids have been over. They've been interviews in the schools over in Hong Kong and, and it kind of, it was a, it was a, it was one of those moments, Jeanette, this guy so loyal, you cannot break that loyalty, suddenly gets told by this city guy, you know, that, um, or ex-city guy, that he's going to shift my, my, uh, my family to a different continent, a different time zone, doing a, a slightly different role, um, you know, the drop of a hat. It kind of really touched my values. Uh, and, and that was the, the bit that made me feel strong enough to, to make that bold move, to mm-hmm. say, Okay, well, that's interesting, but that's not what we're going to do here, my friend. Mm. Yeah, that's the first time I'd stood up to the organization. Yeah, it was like a juggernaut train coming towards me. I had to stand up and, you know, stand in front of that. And that was a, so it it didn't go well in that somebody was telling me, you know, something's going to happen that I don't want to happen. But even that, I turned it to my advantage, Jeanette. I had that conversation with with Pear, my now chairman and very, very good friend. And it gave me that that sort of nudge that I needed to say mm. to the bank, I think it's time that we part, right? Mm. Uh, sometimes we need that. Uh, at the time, if you said to me at the time, how do I feel about the way I was being treated? It was deeply hurtful. You know, one of the, the most loyal people that species probably ever had, you know, being treated, I felt in a way that wasn't perhaps um, uh, ethical. Um, and I keep saying it was a, H- uh, a city guy rather than species, but that's just a kind of excuse. It was a person that made a decision in a way that I felt was inappropriate. And I just stood my ground and said, no, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm, let, let's do this differently. Mm, mm. No, I think that, that's that's a great share, actually, because you're right. You know, sometimes things can happen and it can feel like the end of the world at the time. You know, yeah. and, and this could be a, per, a breakup of a personal relationship. It could be anything, you know, not just business. And, and, and it's often on reflection, you think, you know what, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. If that had not happened, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And um, I think that's right. Sometimes things happen for a reason and um, and it's, me- it's meant to, to catapult you into a different space, which is yeah. what happened with you, right? But I think one other thing I just wanted to, to pick up on, you had a very long and successful career at HSBC. You were there for 24 years yeah. and arguably maybe had things not happened, you could still be at HSBC you know in a very successful role Um, and I think there are a lot of people that are in organizations for a very long time and um, and that's not a bad thing but it can also leave you in um, slightly exposed potentially in the event that things change and 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 it's often not down to your performance or whatever maybe there's a change of leadership your face doesn't fit strategy changes all this kind of stuff. And I think the thing that's refreshing about your story is that after 24 years, long history in that organization, you have then gone on and you've had another amazing, you know, part of your career in business life. So for anyone that's maybe in an organization, have been there a long time and they're fearful of change, or if something happens out of their control, really try not to be, think about all the gifts you've got and think about everything that you can actually apply to another organization or starting something yourself, because it isn't over just because you've had a long career in one, in one company does not mean that that has to be it. Um, yeah. I mean, well said, well said. I mean, 
that guy, if I saw him again on the street, uh, you know, maybe in the first few months after we had a, our argument about, you know, locations, uh, you know, I'd probably have punched him on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a small guy, Jeanette, right? <laughs> um, but now looking back, I think I'd actually buy him a pint because it was the best thing that ever happened in my career. Because I would be that automaton commuting now up to probably, you know, Canary Wharf or Birmingham or maybe in another country somewhere. But, um, you know, just doing that automaton thing, just another, you know, a slog. Whereas actually the, the experience I've had, it's taken me again, different countries. I mean, I, I thought I was well-traveled when I was in HSBC. I'd done all these far-flung countries around the world. Um, uh, and now with with bank brokers, I've done, you know, many more countries and, and done the Nordics. I'm now, you know, I feel pretty... Uh, knowledgeable about the whole Nordic area and their culture and what they do. Uh, and then it's taken me over to, to America. I did America with HSBC, but now doing America, setting up a com uh, company. But all these things pivoted from what at the time felt like a dark moment. Someone's not treating me with, you know, with integrity and respect and, and, and you know, fairly. And as you said, that was, that felt dark, but it was the best moment in my career. If I could put my finger on the one thing that was the most valuable it was that moment. So I would buy him a beer and I'd thank him and I'd explain why. Mm, brilliant. Now that's that's fantastic. So if anyone that's listening or watching this, you know, you're in a you're at a bit of a crossroads with with a similar situation or you know, something that's got aspects of that, don't worry. Just keep strong and and you know, opportunities will come for sure. Um I'd reach out as well, Jeanette, because here's the thing: people like yourself, myself, we've been through this, right? We've been through lots and lots of change, loads of different things, loads of different countries, loads of different opportunities. If somebody that's not sure, reach out to somebody in their network, somebody like yourself or myself, just ask for advice, ask for, most people are really, really friendly, right? Most people want to help their fellow man or woman, right? I'm certainly the case. I, yeah. People have reached out to me and said, what do you think? And, you know, I'm happy to give sort of my input, my guidance, because I want to help colleagues and friends and, you know, those moments, the hardest moments can be the best moments, but you just need to have that kind of uh, courage to carpe diem, seize the day, take the moment but if you're worried fear can really make you make the wrong decisions because fear is kind of don't do anything don't move just that's the safest thing and it, it's rarely the right decision mm -hmm. so reach out to people give you that that inspiration that coaching that motivation that that's what i'd suggest don't yeah. feel you're resting with it on your own yeah great advice absolutely so you might get inundated now neil but that's all that's all good <laughs> it's all there to help aren't we <laughs> absolutely so um when you think about your career, Neil, can you think about the best piece of advice that you've been given or a really good piece of advice that, you know, has kind of stayed with you all these years and that you sort of, you know, revert to every now and then when needed? Yes, a good one. So one of my old leaders, a gentleman called Stephen Pascoe, uh, he was running uh, Europe, uh, the retail bank for HSBC across Europe, uh, a good friend of mine. And uh, he's the guy that took the chance on me when I said I could speak French and, you know, went over to... Um, he, he used to say to me, you know, Neil, think about, not, not to be more, but think about being on your deathbed. He didn't mean literally get depressed and think about it, but he meant, and then look back and look back at all of the different steps. You know, you don't want to be looking back with regret, right? You want to look back and, you know, I chose to do this. I chose to do that, you know, have no regrets, just go for it. Just, and, uh, and then you'll, you'll never be able to plot that course, right? I mean, I, I wasn't at school thinking, I'd love to be an underwriter or maybe a bank broker. Maybe I'll join a Nordic firm. I mean, it's just, it's preposterous, yeah? But each of those different moves, if you're open to it, lead you to where you are. So kind of, if you can try and look at life like you're, you know, you've got your last few, few breaths and you're looking back on that timeline, did you carpe diem? Did you seize them? Did you take the right chances? Yeah, did you go for it? You don't want to be lying there with regrets. I'll never have any regrets like that. Amazing. Great piece of advice. I love that. Fantastic. And Neil, can you think of any bad advice that you had that maybe didn't work out so well or you ignored because it was so bad in the first place? Oh, um, most <laughs> people I've worked, I have been lucky because you don't always choose your leader, right? But most of the leaders that I've worked for, I've learned from, you've got to be open to, to, to what they say. Um, bad advice. Not really. I, I can't think of bad advice. I can't think of any bad. I mean, like I said, the only one that perhaps, uh, you know, I think was the wrong call was to, 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 you know, send somebody like myself, you know, and their family to a different uh, job at the drop of a hat. You know, just, just mm. bad. I mean, that that's bad advice, right? Go back to London and do what you did years ago, you know. Yeah. By then, I'd, I'd like spread my wings. I'd, you know, I'd been everywhere. I'd, I'd 
been to Russia, I've been to Poland, I've been to Malta and Greece and Turkey. And, you know, I've done all these different roles. I had so much to give. Yeah. You know, go back to London and stand on the platform, the same, same place, you know, the same day. That was probably the only bad advice I've really ever had in my career. Because those have said things that I just thought were nonsense. I, I can't even remember them because they were nonsense and I ignored it. Oh, I've got one. I've got one. Right? I got just suddenly thought of one. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> my good friend and, and former boss, uh, I won't mention his name on this one because it's too... <laughs> but he phoned me up once. He said, um, this is when we were growing the, uh, the business down in Wales. And uh, I was working with the Welsh Development Agency. We were recruiting hundreds of people. We were growing so fast. And uh, the bank decided to start to cut costs, okay? So my boss at the time, he phoned me up and he said, Neil, you, you've got to stop recruitment and you've got to get rid of 50 heads now. Just do it, do it, right? Because there's a massive cost drive. I've got so much pressure on me. You need to contribute to that. Cut some heads now. Bang, bang, cut, cut, cut. Um, and Jeanette, you know this from running a company. If you're a really fast-growing company, growing tenfold, right? Uh, and, and then you stop recruitment, it's a juggernaut, if yeah. you stop that, it'll take another six months to catch up with where you were. So I put the phone down, and maybe this is a bold moment again in my career, but I just ignored him. And, and years later, we have talked about that moment, yeah? And uh, we, we joke about it. And I said, you realise I did completely ignore you. And he said, well, how else would you have carried on growing the business? I knew you must have. Because we <laughs> then said, go, go, go. And, you know, the group CEO is saying, come on, what do you need to succeed? We just need to carry on with the recruitment, right? Which I was doing anyway. So uh, <laughs> a bad boss giving you bad advice, just ignore it. <laughs> yeah. And then when you've got all the great results to show later, they go, I don't care anyway. They get also glad you ignored it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Neil, the podcast called Brave Bold Brilliant. What does that mean to you when you think of that? Oh, in inspiring words, right? Inspiring words. I was trying to think of um, examples of real bravery, apart from like I gave the example of my daughter taking us to, to France. I was thinking last night about Gareth Southgate, you know, in 96, you know, step, a defender who never takes penalties, stepping up to take a penalty on the, the world stage against Germany and ultimately losing, and now the redemption. But that 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 was real bravery. I, I can't think so much about things I've done that are brave, but when I when I look back, I, I classify them more as some bold things. I think being bold is okay. I wouldn't classify myself as, as brave. Others might, some of the decisions we've made. Being open, I think, is probably more... Uh, and the brilliance bit, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't think of anything I've ever done that's brilliant. I mean, um, just being willing to to go for it, I think that in itself, it's just an inspiring title. I love it. Great, bold, brilliant. Certainly the bold one of the three. I can, you know, I can give some examples of but the rest for others to decide. Oh, fantastic. Well, I think your results speak for themselves, Neil. Um, so, yeah, I think you definitely are brave, bold and brilliant. You're giving us plenty to go for here. But uh, listen, it's been an absolute joy chatting with you. Thank you so much. You too. Lovely to see you, Jeanette. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.